how can we, with Jesus' life living within us, deal with the difficult people in our lives? Here's how Jesus said to deal with difficult people. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The chasm between God's mercy and our obstinance is vast, but Jesus came to fill that gap. So as we grow in our faith, are we becoming better at reflecting God's mercy to those around us or even to those who we find hard to get along with? Here's David continuing his teachings on difficult people. Jesus can do anything, folks. He can heal any marriage. He can heal your heart. He can give you hope. We're talking about difficult people in this series, and we need to begin with the fact that in God's eyes, we were difficult people, right? Look at this verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were, what's the word? Enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In our pre-Christ condition, God called us enemies, Difficult people, you'd better believe it. And yet still, Jesus came and died to save us from our sins, to forgive us and give us new life through his resurrection power. So we've been looking in this series at Jesus' specific teachings on how to deal once we've been reconciled to God, our enmity now made into a friendship with God through Jesus. How can we, with Jesus' life living within us, deal with the difficult people in our lives? Here's how Jesus said to deal with difficult people. But I say to you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Fairly radical teachings, would you say? When I heard the news that Dr. Graham had gone to be with the Lord in heaven, uh, I went through a series of different emotions. The first verse that came to my mind is Romans 1, 16, where Jesus said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, folks. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Dr. Billy Graham was not ashamed of the gospel. He preached to over 200 million people about the power of Jesus to change lives, to heal marriages, to heal people who can marry. He came to set us free from the power of sin and death. Dr. Billy Graham, he impacted my life profoundly. I had the privilege of meeting him in 1982. I was asked to do the emceeing of a fundraiser for an organization called Youth for Christ. Dr. Graham was going to be the speaker and I again would emcee it. And we were able to share about two hours together during that meal time. 
I, I followed his ministry closely in the years to come. Some of you may not know this, but when I went to Chapel Hill, my first year was 1967, and right when I came in as a scholarship basketball awardee, Ann Graham Lotz, Billy's daughter, called me. She was married to Danny Lotz, who played on the 1957 undefeated national championship team. They invited me over to their house on Sunday night for Bible study. Now, I was a preacher's kid. I had made a commitment to Jesus, so I went, and I really loved studying the scripture with Danny and Ann and a couple few more other people. I really enjoyed Ann's apple pie. <laughs> it was incredible. And we had this wonderful time of four years, most every Sunday night when I could make it, going and studying with Ann and Danny Lotz. I had Ann on a radio program. I asked her, how's your daddy? And it's interesting, she always calls her dad, daddy. Affectionately, oh daddy. He's doing as well as he can be. And, and he was pretty much blind at that point, could hardly speak, and I asked Ann the question. I said, Ann, why in the world do you think God has kept your daddy here? She didn't miss a heartbeat. She said, I'm convinced God wants daddy still to be here to remind Christians and the church of Jesus Christ the great commission has not yet been finished. Folks, something ignited in me with a new unadulterated passion for the gospel. And I'm convinced if Hebrews 12 is correct, and I believe it is, that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses in the invisible eternal world, I think they're one step ahead of us. And I believe if the Bible is true, which I do, you know, Billy Graham had in the early parts of his ministry to wrestle whether this book is true. He went into the woods because one of his dear friends who was a co-evangelist with him had decided the Bible wasn't true and walked away from the faith. Billy said, I've got to decide if this book is true. And here was what he did as he wrestled all night with God. He said, I finally concluded that if one part of this book isn't true, then all of it is untrue. And you've got to make that decision. No matter what it addresses, marriage, your life, faithfulness, giving, whatever it might give to you, you've got to decide if it's true in its entirety or not. And I believe the book is true from every angle. And the Bible says that the prayers of the saints ascend to heaven. And if that's true, that means that my dad and mom and Billy Graham and a cloud of witnesses are daily praying for those of us whom they love. Isn't that cool? All the time. And also Hebrews 12:1 says they're encouraging us to finish the walk of faith faithfully. And what should be the center of our lives? It's the gospel. The gospel, folks. The bad news that we once were enemies, but through the cross of Christ, we're forgiven of our sins. And Jesus now gives us that new life in him. I'm not ashamed of that gospel message. I've seen it change lives. It can change your life as well. Now, at every Billy Graham crusade, whenever the people would come down from the stands to receive Jesus, the hymn that was sung was what? Do you remember? just as I am. But I remember hearing Dr. Graham one time say, you come forward to receive Jesus just as you are. But once as you receive him, you don't leave just as you are. Your life is dramatically transformed. George W. Bush had a problem with alcohol. And he knew it was breaking up his marriage and he was being a bad influence for his daughters. And he went for a walk with Dr. Graham. And Dr. Graham adjured him about the power of the gospel to change his life. After that walk, folks, he gave up alcohol and has never touched it again. He said, Jesus touched my heart and set me free. 
If you'll go to Jesus, you don't have to drink anymore. You don't have to drink anymore. So Jesus has transformed our enmity into friendship and he's given us his power within. That's what Dr. Graham believed in and practiced in his own life. But he wants to take it further, folks. He doesn't want to leave you just as you were. He wants to make you into a fully-fledged follower. Are you? Does Jesus have every single control of your life? Does he? Or are you still holding on to something that's destroying you and denigrating the Jesus you say you love? One of the places he dramatically transforms our lives is dealing with difficult people, dealing with people who've hurt us, dealing with our enemies. And in these verses I just read to you, Jesus says, now, love your enemies. It's not a new idea. In Leviticus 19, 18, for example, there's this verse spoken from Moses' lips. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, Jesus just quoted from the book of Leviticus when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That came from Moses. Then Solomon, in Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, he said, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. I think it causes the conscience just to burn when somebody loves you when it's undeserved. And they know that you've got something they don't. But that's from Solomon. And it was quoted by Paul almost verbatim in Romans 12. And then 1 Peter 3, 9, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, wrote, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So Moses wrote it, Solomon wrote it, Paul wrote it, Peter wrote it. I would think it's fairly important, don't you think? But I wanna warn you, you can't do this on your own strength. If you think you can love your enemies and those who've hurt you in your home strength, you're kidding yourselves. It will take a supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit through the gospel being received in your heart to give you the ability to love other people like this. In other words, Jesus, who lives in you, is going to have to love through you these difficult people. You can't do this on your own strength. You've got to daily go to the Lord and say, you empower me to love these difficult people. So there are seven ways Jesus says, love your enemies. Let me go through them for you right now. First of all, he said, do good to those who hate you. In other words, don't retaliate. If, if I've forgiven you, the essence of forgiveness is you refuse to retaliate against the person who hurt you. And it's only because, folks, whenever you retaliate, you up the retaliation backlash. And then when they retaliate with a little more anger against you, then you've got to retaliate with just a little more anger back. And eventually, somebody's gonna get seriously hurt. That's what happens in domestic violence. And Jesus said, don't do that. Do good to those who hate you. Paul said in Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't, don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. It, it's interesting to me that Dr. Graham's 
probably most embarrassing moment publicly was when the Watergate tapes were released. Dr. Graham was noted as the pastor to the presidents. And from Truman to Eisenhower, to Kennedy, to Nixon, even those beyond, he had a special relationship with. They invited him in, I think, for two reasons. One, he was a man of great, deep integrity. And secondly, he had a spiritual life about him that people wanted to drink from. But when the Watergate tapes were released that Nixon had recorded secretively, it revealed a side of Nixon that Billy Graham never saw. His language was foul. His abuse of people was awful. How he said he lived his faith as a faithful Quaker was nowhere near how he lived out his life and spoke. It was embarrassing. In fact, Ruth had warned Billy sometime earlier, be careful And this is true for any person like myself or even any of you who have spiritual giftings in your life. Be careful about nuzzling up to power. And and I've had to learn this. Politicians love my favored arm around them and they'll do then what they want to do. And that's why I have never cozied up to politicians. I've been their friend. When they ask me my opinion, I tell them. And when I think they're wrong, they hear from me. But the truth is, if you cozy up to power, you can never speak prophetically to power. That's why I'm a registered independent, folks, for those of you who want to know. I think both parties need Jesus. And I speak prophetically to both parties that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope for America. It is. Do you know how Billy Graham responded to those tapes? He did good to Nixon, never demeaned him, continued to love him because that's what Jesus did to us, isn't it? Secondly, bless those who curse you with difficult people. The word bless means something spoken, right? So for those people who've hurt us or those difficult people in our lives, don't speak ill of them. Don't curse them. That's all a curse is. You hope with your words something bad happens to them. Bless them with your words. What's the best way you can bless other people with your words? To pray for them. Pretty much like what Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Number three, pray for those who abuse you. Now this is not saying that you're supposed to stay in an abusive relationship. Jesus is not teaching that. If if you have someone really hurt you and strike you and abuse you, you're not supposed to stay in that relationship. But he did say you can pray for those who abuse you. You know, in 2008, Dr. Graham was aging. He was about 88, 89 at that point. And he was in an interview and his voice was crackling and uh, that was unusual because he had such a strong voice. But the person interviewing him asked the question, Dr. Graham, if you would counsel Christians today, what would you tell them to do? He said, I would give them one piece of advice that I think I didn't do as well as I should have. And the person asked, what's that? And he said, I'd pray more. Let me ask you something, folks. Do you believe prayer moves the hands of God? A lot of people tell me they pray. When I really delve, they don't pray. It's kind of a blessing, be with me, Lord, but I'm talking about getting on your knees and imploring the God of this universe to use the power of prayer he promised all of his people. 
Prayer moves the hands of God. And those of us who believe in the power of the gospel should be on our knees especially praying for those in our families and neighborhoods who don't believe. And may I adjure you, please start inviting your friends. Is there one person who will be in heaven because of your belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ? If so, it's most often preceded by the power of prayer. So amazingly, that enemy, that difficult person, if you'll just start praying for them, it's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. It's hard to despise somebody when you're on your knees praying for them. That's Jesus' way to deal with difficult people. Then he said, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Now that's not talking about somebody hits you, turn the cheek to let them hit the other cheek. It's not talking about whether a government or a military or even you personally should defend yourself against someone who's attacking you. I'm telling you something. Somebody comes after my wife and my kids, they're gonna deal with me in the name of Jesus, right? But this is talking about when somebody insults you. The slap on the cheek is the backhand ultimate influence. Uh, insult, excuse me. It's the ultimate insult. So if somebody really insults you, Jesus is saying in another way, don't respond in retaliation. Don't do that. And Dr. Graham had to deal with that all the time. In the 1950s, amidst America's segregation, Dr. King became very close friends with Martin Luther King. They were close, close friends. Did, did you know how Billy Graham ultimately came to faith in Jesus? An evangelist came to town named Mordecai Ham, and he preached the gospel, and he left town so discouraged, only one person received Jesus. He thought, oh man, I was such a failure. That one person's name was? Billy Graham. Was he a failure? Why is the church obsessed with numbers? When does God ever need numbers to prove his spirit's moving? You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the positive side of fear. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's a pleasure being with you as well. Well, in today's e-devotion, you challenged each of us to fear God and not man. I personally would love to hear more on this. Well, thank you, Jen. It's an important idea for all people of faith to grasp. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really comes from Proverbs, the first chapter, verse 7, where at the beginning of all of the Proverbs, Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he's basically trying to get us to understand that when we have the fear of the Lord, everything else should melt away in importance. Mm. Uh, When we have the fear of the Lord, though, we also should then not have the fear of man. And too many of us are people pleasers. Yes, my hand is raised. Okay, thank you. Well, (laughs) mine is too as well. I think all of us as humans want want the applause of people around us. And we fail to realize that really we should only play to an audience of one. We should desire solely the applause of God in heaven, but living in community here on this earth, living interdependently with one another causes us to want other people to like us. Mm -hmm. And then thus on social media, we want people to follow us and give us thumbs up. And then it becomes devastating if people unfollow us or write critical messages on on our mm-hmm. Facebook board or whatever that could be. Mm-hmm. I think we've all got to reclaim the need, though, to make God the master passion of our lives, to make God the major audience of our lives. And when we fear God, not man, we are really set free to obey him and then not worry about the opinions of other people. Here's what I do know. If you fear man, you won't fear God. Wow. If you fear God, you won't fear man. Hmm. And God's order is to play to him first, to fear him above all else, to realize he's the sovereign creator of all of the world. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He oversees everything in this world. He is the one to whom we're going to be answerable one day about how we've lived our lives, not the people who surround us and all the people pleasing that's going on Mm -hmm. in our hearts. We're here to please God alone, and we'll answer to him alone one day. Mm -hmm. So seek in your heart to please God above all else. Make the master passion of your life the doing of God's will above all else, and then the opinions of others won't greatly matter. Fear God not man. Wow, this is so powerful. And something that I'm convicted of in my own life as a parent is, you know, I want my kids to like me. And, and I, you know, but I have to recognize I'm their only mom. Yeah, you're not called to be their best They've friend. They've got friends. <laughs> That's They've right. got friends. And when I get that in right order, everything is so much more smooth and peaceful in the home. Yeah, I can remember one time with my dad, I was talking about uh, my people-pleasing attitude and trying to get people to like me and think well of me. And he finally said to me, David, don't be worried about what people are thinking of you. They're probably not thinking about you at all. They're too busy thinking about themselves. Wow. I mean, what a great insight. So good. The whole idea, again, fear God and not man, and then really the opinions of others won't matter. But if you're really trying to fear God and live a life for him, interestingly, you'll have a lot of people simply respect you and honor you because of the positions you've taken. Mm, That's so powerful. Thank you so much for these insights today, David. Thank you, Jen. It's great talking with you. 
you and listeners, thank you for listening as well. If you would like to receive from me these daily written moments of hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there for them and they'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours, free of charge to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. I hope you have a great weekend.